Morning, Kev. <laughs> good morning, Russ. How are you today? I'm good. And good morning to new community. Happy Election Day. And you may be thinking to yourself, this is crazy because new community is doing an Election Day podcast. Insane. And let's just say that it is. It's a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, we've never done this before. No, nope. didn't um, think we would. Honestly, we did not think that we would. But as we have discussed as a staff and um, tried to think through what is the role of the church in a time like this, it became pretty evident that um, we need to speak. And uh, there are truths that we believe are uh, in the scripture, in the Bible, that need to be heard. And um, our community, including you and myself, Russ, need to be reminded of consistently. And so uh, New Community for a long time has been a church community that has not been a, um, not been one that has found or uh, supported one singular candidate or one singular political policy, uh, has always been a place of uh, generosity, has always been a place that has tried to value differing opinions and uh, understandings from those in our community. But um, we believe there are some broad truths that we should look at today that may help us to kind of understand where we're at and understand uh, how we move forward. Uh, so uh, this will be our Tuesday podcast, but it will also be uh, our Sunday podcast, uh, and we can talk a little bit more about that towards the end. So um, we've been in our series, Distant Cousins and Weird Uncles, and we've been looking at what the prophets have had to say to us uh, during this very unique time, and we believe our next prophet, Haggai, has something really, really relevant for us this morning. Yeah, today's prophet, Haggai, no different than all of the previous prophets in giving us a relevant word for today. We're going to pick up in chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, which states this, Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Now, Haggai starts off with a bit of a reprimand, a criticism, if you will. He says this, it is, a time, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, this is what is known as a rhetorical question. I am not an English scholar, but over the years, I've picked up the importance of this type of question. If my mom, for example, asked a rhetorical question, I knew it was best not to answer. Shannon does not ask rhetorical questions often, but when she does, I have learned that the answer is already implied. And in this case, when God asks you a rhetorical question, the safer bet would not be to answer about how you feel or even to answer how God might feel in the moment. 
but to just let the question sit there because we all know what the answer already is. Now, God immediately follows up this question with a statement. He says, consider your ways. It's a call to examine, to evaluate our actions and our intentions. He says that you've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. You earn wages, but you put them into a bag with holes. What God is highlighting is an issue of focus. You're paneling your house. You're focused on your life. You're zoned in and all about your gain in life. You sow, you eat, you drink, you clothe, you earn your wages. Your striving is never enough. And what you seem to be doing is focusing on you and not the larger picture. In the scripture, we then see that God gives us a remedy, speaks a remedy in this moment, a solution to the situation, a better answer to the rhetorical question that he's asking. He says, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified. In short, he gives this remedy. He says, adjust your focus. Prioritize me. Stop focusing on building your own life and build my kingdom. Why be concerned with only things that are selfish? Be concerned about my kingdom. I can't recall a time in my life more than where the church needs to hear this right now, that we are far, far too focused on things in our own lives, and we have lost the focus on the mission of God. We've become too focused on our way of being. We've become too focused on our own inconvenience. We've become too focused on the state of our economy. We've become too focused on safety. We have become too focused on this election. Everything God mentions in this list aligns in many ways with the things that we are currently striving for. So here's a little exercise this morning that might be helpful. For a moment, pause and recall the last conversation that you were in with somebody outside of your family or maybe even somebody inside of your family that lasted for more than four or five minutes. What themes came up? Where did the conversation drift? Both Russ and I would be willing to wager a bet that the conversation at some point drifted to the pandemic to the state of our world, to health, to life, to regulations, to whether you're pro-mask or not mask, to what the economy is going to do, to how long this is going to last. Or maybe it drifted to politics, to red, blue, conspiracies, voting, anger, frustration, what side you're on. Did you hear this? Did you see that? Did you read this article? Now think back not on just that last conversation you had, but on the conversations, the 10 conversations previous to that one. And our guess is that they held the same themes. Now, a second little exercise. Pause for another second and think just in this last week, what did you think about in the quiet, quietness and stillness of your own free time? Yeah. How did you spend your downtime? 
I'll speak for myself here. If you're anything like me, you probably spent an inordinate amount of time thinking about the election, about reading articles of the swing states, wishing things were different, checking in on daily COVID numbers. This is the exact focus that God is speaking about in Haggai. All these things have become primary to us while the things of God have become secondary. The kingdom of God, the mission of God, our love toward others, our compassion for our neighbors, all of those things have been supplanted by our our current paneled houses. And the scriptures speak into this idea often. You see it in the New Testament when Jesus speaks to the idea of seeking first the kingdom, and then all these additional things will be added unto you. There's a letter written by C.S. Lewis in 1951 when he speaks about this principle. He says this, and I quote it often, put first things first and we get second things thrown in. Put second things first and we lose both first and second things. So easy for us to do to shift our attention to secondary things. and In doing so, we lose the primary thing as well. Now, Kevin, has there ever been a time that you, as you look back, um, that the pursuit of the secondary has overcome the pursuit of the things that matter most? Yeah. Uh, I was um, thinking about this question over the last couple of days, and I was um, not immediately, but uh, after actually putting some thought into it, kind of brought back to my, let's see, this would have been my first year outside of college. So uh, 22 years old, I had taken a job with a youth ministry in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Grace and I were married at this point, and we moved to North Idaho. And I was tasked with the starting of this ministry, helping to establish this ministry in uh, to high school and middle school kids in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And um, there was not a not necessarily a playbook. There wasn't a uh, a boss that I was working for in my city. I was out on my own, and I spent the first three, four, five months pursuing primarily secondary things. Mm. I was consumed by uh, the growth of the ministry and how uh, how much it had to grow and how I was going to get it to grow. I was consumed and concerned about how I was seen at my job, if I was seen as excellent, if I was seen as capable. I remember working tirelessly to try to prove myself. I was terrified of failure. I was grasping for control whenever, wherever I could. And in the midst of all of those secondary things, I lost sight of the actual mission. I lost sight of my call as a missionary to high school students. I forgot that God was in control. Mm -hmm. And in that way, the ministry didn't grow. And in that way, the ministry was suffering because my pursuit was of secondary things wasn't until early in a morning, I think it was kind of like late-ish uh, or, or like um, not late winter, but like December kind of uh, winter morning. I had gotten up because I was just woke up naturally uh, out of like this sense of anxiousness, a sense of uh, being uh, out of control. And I turned to the scripture and just had one of those moments, uh, like a Hail Mary moment of saying, God, help me. Like mm. something is off. Something is not right. And I turned to the book of Exodus fourteen fourteen, and I can remember it in this early morning with Moses' back against the sea and uh, all of his followers looking at him frantic about what was coming. He just looks out and he says, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be still. Mm. 
And it was in that moment where I felt like my back was kind of against the Red Sea and people were looking for me for answers where this truth spoke deeply into my heart that uh, I was too concerned, too busy, too, uh, too focused on trying to gain control and work all these things out for myself that I had lost sight of my real focus. I think if uh, any of us gave a little time to think through it, we could find moments where the secondary became more important than the primary. And it's just a acknowledgement that we've misplaced our priorities. And I know both you and I would say that that has uh, come up for many times in our lives. And I think what God is getting at here with his rhetorical question is for us to acknowledge that we have truly lost our place. We've lost our focus. We uh, and before we can really even tease out what it looks like for us to move into a space where we're refocused, um, I think maybe we just need to acknowledge or repent of a misplaced focus. Sometimes when we bring up the word repent, um, there's a natural like defense, like, ah, I don't really want to repent, but repent is really about changing direction. It's really about acknowledging something and then choosing to mm -hmm. go a different way. J.A. Packer, when he speaks of repentance, says this, the New Testament word for repentance means changing one's mind so that one's values, views, goals, and ways are changed, and one's whole life is lived differently. The change is radical both inwardly and outwardly. Mind and judgment, will and affections, behavior and lifestyle, motives and purposes are all involved. Yeah. We want to be incredibly clear that this is not a you problem. Mm. Uh, this is a message that we are speaking as much to ourselves as it is to any and all who are listening. Um, but there needs to be application. There yeah. needs to be movement for, there needs to be a way to, to hear this message, to repent and then say, okay, what can be done differently? Every command, every idea, initiative in the scriptures then has this range of applications and our duty as faithful followers of Jesus Christ are to flesh these things out, yep. to, to figure out what is the application of this, to work with the principles and commands and imagine how those best relate to our world and seek out to live those things in our pursuit of Jesus. So uh, here are a couple of things that we believe Haggai would speak to us this morning about our misplaced priorities. And the first one is this, we need to renounce the fear and hate that is driving our culture right yep. now. Our thoughts, our worldviews, our just understanding of an interaction with the world seems to be driven more by fear right now than anything else. We talked about this really recently with the book uh, in the book of Habakkuk, that we are in an age of over-anxiety, that fear is now just kind of our normal homeostasis. It is mm. the way that we operate. It is the way that we exist. We fear what's to come. We fear the other. We fear what we might lose. And the list goes on and on and on. Now, luckily, the scripture speaks about fear throughout if we look just at the ministry of Christ, we see a couple of really poignant times. Uh, one that I first uh, kind of initially thought of was that moment during the storm. The disciples are out in the boat. They're fishing. This uh, horrific storm comes on, and the disciples immediately get frantic trying to figure out how are they going to weather the storm. And Jesus wakes, and he asks again a rhetorical question, 
why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Found in Mark 4. In a similar way, in a, uh, in a, even in like a, a similarly politically unstable climate, it was what Jesus spoke first to the Marys after the tomb, after they had found that the tomb was empty and there's all this instability around them. They're there, they're wondering what had happened and Jesus appears and he says, greetings, do not be afraid in Matthew 28. Then he shows up to the disciples, likely in the upper room, and he greets them. He says, peace be with you. And again, kind of in a rhetorical question, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Found in Luke 24. In each of these circumstances, Jesus was asking those people to consider their ways. He was asking them to refocus The world around lives in fear because I believe they don't have the answer. Mm -hmm. They don't have Christ because their focus is inward. Their focus is about gain, their own personal gain. Now, it's terrifying to imagine living without the peace of Christ. And yet so many of us who know this peace, who have experienced Mm -hmm. this peace, seem to be living in this exact way, sucked in to the never-ending cycle of fear. Just, uh, let's see, this is four or five, uh, four or five nights ago, early in the morning, I had actually already left. Uh, I had an early morning meeting and one of my sons had uh, a pretty horrific nightmare early in the morning and woke up. And the first thing that he thought to do was to come up and jump into bed with grace. And he sought this place of comfort. Mm -hmm. That was what, uh, kind of drove him in the midst of this, uh, this fear in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of not knowing what is going on. He sought a place of safety. He sought a place of comfort. He sought a place of refuge in this moment. My son recognized in a way that he needed to be still, right? He needed a place of refuge. The last few years, and specifically 2020, has felt like we've been living in an ongoing nightmare. But too many of us continue to drink from that same poisoned well. We're continuing to fill our lives with the same fear that we so badly want to be freed from. We know God is our refuge, and yet we have allowed our fear to drive our actions and to dictate our thoughts. We're too busy reading articles, checking our notifications, watching our preferred news channels, that we have forgotten that he provides refuge. We have been the absolute opposite of still in the presence of the Lord. So Newcom, let me ask you this. Are you consuming that next article for your edification or watching the debate just to better understand, or are you allowing yourself to be fully consumed by them? I think there's a thin line between those two things. Are you consuming or have you become consumed? And fear is something that eats away at us and then ultimately leads to the second thing, and that is hate. We are in a society where our political and cultural discourse has devolved into a never-ending cycle of hate. Although I don't think that most of us listening to this podcast acutely feel uh, hate toward others, I do think there are ways in which we harbor feelings of judgment, superiority, and estrangement. How many of us 
have had a conversation or listened to someone that holds a different opinion than ours and thought, can you believe what they think? What kind of idiot could actually believe that idea or believe in that person? They must not be educated enough. They must not be aware enough. And these feelings of judgment and superiority cause us to other people. We become busy othering people. And what I mean by that is we begin to push people into a segment of no longer being us, but rather being them, being other than us, different than us. And so we're pushed to draw uh, lines in the sand, whether it's along political lines, whether it's along personality, whether it's along interest. And then anyone that crosses to that other side becomes the other. We establish sides, we define lines, and then we despise the people that cross them. We might even be guilty of using the idea of being woke. That is something that you, I'm sure, have heard over the last several years. But instead of using that as an idea to be mean, we are enlightened. We use it to draw dividing lines. If one is truly woke to something, it implies that they did not once see clearly and now they are shocked at what they previously missed. When you're shocked about not previously knowing something that's obvious to many others, it should lead to an attitude of humility, not to a place of pride. But we are seeing that this idea is becoming a place of one saying that they're informed, and instead of walking with gentleness among others, they walk with superiority. The world is not going to be changed simply because you or I are more informed. The world is going to be changed because through that being informed, it leads us to action, Mm. not to division, not to counter arguments, not to being a person of pride, but it actually leads to humble action. I actually think the more destructive aspect of this reality is a posture that some have adopted towards those that hold different positions. Yeah. Judging others, holding a position of superiority, estrangement of those who are different, these things bring death. They bring death to the church. They bring death to the other. They bring death to our own soul. And so let me make a strong statement. The church will die if we do not consider our ways, repent, and renounce fear and hate. Let's turn to our second point. And our second point is this. We need a refocus on hope. The second application worth mentioning is that we need to refocus everything we have on the hope of who Jesus Christ is. Hope is a word that we all need right now. Hope is a word that inspires and and brings feelings of belief of an anticipated good. Be honest with yourself for a moment. Pause and again, ask yourself this question. Where have you placed your hope? Your preferred candidate is not going to save you. America is not going to save you. America is not even the answer that we're looking for. Conservative judges and the Green New Deal, none of those things are the answer. 
the swinging majority in Congress or where a swing state votes, none of those things will bring about the kingdom. Masks are not the issue. The economy is not the issue. The morality or lack thereof of your preferred candidate is not the issue. The issue is that we have lost the placement of our hope. We've put it on all of these other things and forgot who Jesus Christ is in our life here and now and always. Our issue is that we've placed our hope in the systems of the world. And unfortunately, our joy has become too far connected with the cultural narratives that surround us, saying that these are the things that will bring us joy. These are the things that will save us because they never will. Again, this is uh, an issue of being misguided or misplaced values. If we put our hope in um, secondary things instead of the primary thing, Jesus Christ, we will always be disappointed. The scriptures speak to this idea often. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, you have this statement made that we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. 1 Peter chapter 1, Scripture says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith, for the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Again, Peter is not uh, confused. He's not saying that we look to the living hope for anything other than through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Later on in 1 Peter, Therefore, preparing our minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Again, what he's speaking into is that it's so easy for us Hmm. to not be in our right mind, but be sober-minded and set your hope fully on the grace that's brought with Jesus. Yeah. Uh, I uh, have this little devotional that I I turn to often, and this was uh, an entry that was um, pretty recent that I read that I felt like really captures this idea. It's by Reuben Jobbit says this, as Christians, we live by faith in God and we carry within us the notorious hope that a life of faithfulness is indeed the best way to live. Our hope is that fidelity and faithfulness will result in a holy life and the comforting companionship of Jesus Christ. We hope for that which we do not see. When disease, disaster, death, or triumph strike, we are filled with hope because our ultimate trust is in God. Our worlds and wealth may crumble. Disease and disaster may lay hold on what and whom we value, but followers of the Christian way continue to be hopeful. We hold on to hope because we are filled with faith that God is able to consummate the promise made to redeem and transform all who turn their lives to God. 
I think about this. I don't know when this was written. It certainly was not written this year. But when you just look at this idea of uh, when disease, disaster, death, or triumph strike, I mean, that is like, that captures 2020 right there. Mm -hmm. And yet, amidst all of those things, we hold on to this notorious hope in Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. always refocusing our gaze on him who is the Lord over all and who will bring the kingdom. The beauty of doing a talk like this on this Tuesday is that it is election day. And for many of us, your vote is likely in. If you've already cast your ballot, maybe you go today and do that. But your civic duty is done. Your work is done in that way. We no longer need to be focused in these ways. We can regain our perspective on what is true, on what is real, on what is now. We can refocus our gaze back on Jesus, our hope back on who Jesus is in our lives. We want to leave you with a couple of um, maybe really tangible ways to kind of lean into some of these areas of application. A few things that um, maybe we even practice today or uh, in the coming days that we believe might help us uh, again towards uh, a place of hope in Christ and not on anything beyond that. Right. We're recording this on November 1st, a couple days before uh, the podcast will be released. And um, we have no idea what's going to happen. Yep. And uh, there's a good chance we'll have no idea what's going to happen even on the third. Sure. Um, But we know that these applicational ideas, regardless of outcome, regardless of um, your desire or um, hope Mm -hmm. for anticipated um, election result, uh, if we continue to focus on the things that matter most, these applications will allow us to uh, lean into um, maybe a posture that's better prepared for yeah. this season. Yeah. So first off, uh, pray for leaders. Pray for the people in charge of uh, the election. Pray for those who are uh, in the process of being elected or not being elected. Um, pray for not just this at a national level. I think we need to be praying for um, governors. I think we need to be praying for state representatives. We need to be praying for local leaders. Uh, the more that we can bathe our community in prayer, the better mm. off we'll be. Yeah. Uh, we have in here, text someone who believes something different than you and affirm them. Now, this doesn't, again, mean that you have to hold their perspective. It doesn't mean that you have to agree outright with them, but every person should be respected. Every person should be listened to. Every person should be cared for in this way. And uh, as we evaluate the last probably six months more than anything, there is far too much division. And it's division over points, secondary points. And that is, um, that's terrible. And this is a place where we can take steps towards the other to send a text, to send a note, to make a phone call, and just affirm that individual that maybe thinks differently. Yeah, that might not be easy to do, but I would say that that's one of the first steps that needs to happen in order for us to not other the person. For sure, yeah. Instead of just looking for where I disagree with you, if I can look for any semblance of um, 
agreement, yeah. uh, finding a way to be able to express that to you that affirms you, I think is going to be a really positive yeah. thing for us to experience. Yeah. Um, here's the truth. I know many of us are probably going to turn on the TV or uh, look at the internet and follow the results uh, today. And so our encouragement would be maybe turn off the TV a couple hours before you planned on turning it off. Maybe don't worry about the results until the next morning. Uh, maybe spend some time with family, hang out with some friends, uh, find a way to take your mind off of um, all of the conversation that will be had. The conversation will not change the results. All the pundits saying what they're going to say uh, is just all part of a attention to drive you to watch so that they might get more ratings so they get more money. Don't get caught in the cycle. Yeah, Just turn it off, spend a night with family, hang out with friends and uh, focus on something different. Yeah. And I think that even probably goes for the following days too. So uh, if you are, uh, feel like you need to be glued to the TV tonight because you're interested uh, in what the outcome is, that's, that's fine. That's your own prerogative. But uh, to then watch hours and hours of TV uh, personalities talking about the election over the coming days at some point, we have to recognize we are too consumed by this stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, to read that extra article about the result, um, just ask yourself the really simple question, is this benefiting me? Right. How could I better spend my time? Is there something else I could read that would actually help me to grow my spiritual life, to help me grow uh, a deeper love for uh, Christ? I think those maybe are questions that we need to start asking ourselves in this time. Yeah, as Kevin said earlier in the talk, um, there's a fine line between consuming and being consumed. Yeah. And I think we've got to be cautious that we don't continue to consume and consume and consume material in such a way that we become consumed by it. Yeah. And it becomes the only thing we think about and fear and are frustrated with. Yeah. Um, we talked earlier and uh, you asked the question, what are, um, think back on your last 10 conversations yeah. and what were the major themes? What are the things that were said? Uh, maybe spend some conscious time over the next 10 conversations, trying to figure out how to steer the conversation away from either COVID-19 and the effects that that's having mm -hmm. on the world or from the economy. Again, not to bury our heads in the sand, not to pretend those things aren't happening, but can we steer that conversation away from that and maybe onto things that actually are more kingdom-oriented? Yeah. Maybe ask some people some deeper questions, not just how is this affecting you or how are you feeling about it? But maybe get into questions like, how are you loving your wife well? What are the ways you're demonstrating care and compassion to those around you? Yeah. How have you invested more time while your kids are likely at home uh, doing virtual school? Yeah. yeah. And, and I think if we come up with a list of some questions that really um, cause us to reveal a little bit more of who we are and to be transparent with each other, I think we're going to be in a much better place. Yeah, for sure. All of that um, said, you could probably come up with about 15, 20 more uh, short application things that you could practice today or throughout the coming days. Um, we would encourage you to lean into any and all of them and discuss them as a group or as accountability partners. But we want to leave you with a couple of things. We just want to remind you again to take a posture that renounces fear hmm. and hate. Do not give in to fear. Do not allow that to motivate you to hate, despise, look down yeah. on, judge, be superior to anyone else. Yeah. Lead with love. 
And instead of being focused on someone else other than Jesus Christ being our Savior, refocus your hope on Him. Do not hope in a party. Do not hope in an election. Do not hope in um, a cure right away. Do not hope in any of those things. Put your focus and hope Hmm. where it belongs, and that is on Jesus Christ. Yeah. New community, let, uh, let us close with a prayer. God, we trust you. We trust you for uh, your movement in our lives personally, for your movement in our lives corporately, for your movement in our lives here and now. We trust you for outcomes. We trust you that you are a God uh, that makes good on promises. We confess that there have been times that we have lost our focus. We confess that there have been times that we have allowed fear to overtake us. We confess that there have been times that we have othered people around us. But we call out to you and we ask that you help us to refocus our hope. Help us to consider our ways. Be with us as individuals. Be with us as a community. Holy Spirit, we ask that you help us to take steps forward to be a people, a loving people that cares for those around us and that is focused on you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Love you, new community. We love you. Have a great evening, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.